While cults sometimes prey on the vulnerable, this exclusive and esoteric group attracted the wealthy and successful. Was this in order to build an elite new colony of people in another dimension? Or was their money used to fuel the lavish lifestyle of their leaders? When it all came crumbling down, the results were deadly. This week's episode is The Order of the Solar Temple. Fills with dread, probably a murderer who wants you dead. It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse. Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse. It's hopeless, you're doomed. You'd call a priest if you could. You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood. Well, we want to start this show off by saying we know that Forrest Finn's treasure has been found. (laughs) Yes. And we appreciate everybody that's sent us articles and links. Yes. You know, whenever you hear people on TV be like, it was an overwhelming amount of support. That's what it was like. (laughs) It was very thoughtful. And a lot of people would preface it and be like, I'm sure you already know. I just really thought of you. So I always appreciate because A, we might not have known and B, it was thoughtful, but we're we're cool. We're good now. We're good. <laughs> I'll actually be talking about it on my mixed bag, which we're going to record right after this. So some some new informations come to light about the treasure. So we're uh, I'm going to talk about it. But yes, it's pretty cool that it has been found. If it yes. ha- if it in fact has <gasps> dun dun dun. That's, that's one of the theor- that's one of the theories circulating out there. So like we'll a see. cliffhanger. Yeah. Well, maybe I don't know if a cliffhanger was involved in this or not. It seemed like a deadly search. So could have been near a cliff. He claims it wasn't. I don't oh, I know. Just meant you were giving a cliffhanger. For yeah, your mixed I know. Bag. I was just saying <laughs> oh, okay. there's also a cliffhanger because it's found out in the wilderness. Allegedly found. Allegedly found. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, man. Well, well. I don't know how to tie in today's topic to that necessarily. I don't either. <laughs> I don't even know how to do anything I don't, anymore. But I, uh, I guess these people, some of them were out pretty remote areas. That's true. In, yes, different circumstances in the wilderness and, uh, of, of sorts, if you will, in the Canadian you know, wilderness and Swiss wilderness. And you know, the forest fenners are they called fenners? I'm calling them that. Sure, the fenners are very f- fen enthusiasts or very they're adherent to the poem as like doctrine in this group they had some doctrines that they that's believed true. that's true you find a good doctrine and some people just stick to it you know what come, one and come done. hell or high water they stick to that doctrine one and done well i'm christy i'm heather and this week we're talking about a cult we hadn't done a cult in a while called the mm-hmm. order of the solar temple this one is wild I had heard a little bit about this, but I didn't know a ton about it. And quite frankly, I was shocked at some yeah. of the stuff I found out. And watching some of the interviews with the former members and also just what went on. I think there's just a weird elitist, like elite people and wealthy people want, are attracted to this secret society idea. Like you hear about the skull and bones at Yale and you hear about... The even like with Bohemian Grove, they want something that nobody else does. Illuminati, Illuminati, and so it's. I think that's the attraction here is that you got a bunch of wealthy people that are told 
you know, nobody else is doing what you're going to be doing. Mm -hmm. I'm the only one that has these connections to this otherworldly realm. It's like what we talked about in Bohemian Grove, that one of the things that bonds people is the feeling that you're in a special elite group sharing something with others that are in a special elite group. Mm -hmm. It's only ours. So, and it excludes other people. So this was a... Uh, the two, the people we'll get into it, the fi- founders and stuff, I think they were both ripe for being cult member or cult leaders. <laughs> they yeah. had the right background. <laughs> leaders and members. Also, yeah. just heads up, there's a lot of French words in this. I'm going to do my best. Yeah. So. Also, if you've taken French or if you natively speak French and you say, they didn't say that right. I'm from Texas, man. That's cool. I mean, I wouldn't expect <laughs> yep. you to say a bunch of the dumb crap I say, right? No, so we're no. We do the best we can around here. I <laughs> looked, I looked up quite a bit of them, but the reality is, I took Spanish and sign language as my foreign <sighs> languages in high school, so in college. So I never took French. Had some friends I'm, that did, but never took French. I was like, I don't think I'm going to need a huge. Uh, I don't see a huge need for this living in Texas. I mean, it'd be cool to speak it, but I I did work with, well, it was in Florida, though. I did work with one French woman once, but other than that, I've never really had a, a French person in my life that I could practice on. Well, maybe if we lived closer north or further north, we might have more, you know, Canadian pals. But down here, it's more Texan or more Texan, more Spanish. Mm-hmm. Paris took French, but I think that was, you know, his Is that because his name is Paris? Yeah, maybe. But I'm very jealous of your sign language. So that's very cool. I wish I... Yeah, sign language was very cool, and I was fluent in it. But it's one of those things that if you don't use it, you lose it. And <sighs> in class and stuff, when I was doing it daily in class, I was very good. But then after class ended and I didn't have any hearing-impaired friends, I didn't ever use it. But I wish... I, it's probably one of those things you could pick back up again pretty easily if you practice. Mm-hmm. It is a very cool um, language, though. And uh, I, I, I should... I, should, I got some time on my hands right now. I should yeah, look into that. So I was that. just thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe... Actually, children learn sign language very easily mm-hmm. and can learn it before they can speak and we taught ella several signs that she would use and she still uses when she wants something well i bet that's good because it diffuses emotion like if they want to say i'm so hungry please help me then they can just be like hungry and you're like oh that's why you're crying yeah or she she'll sign more a lot just doing it to you you just tap your fingers together but yeah so it's also really cute when she wants something and she signs you're like dang you're uh She's gotten even cuter lately. I won't go she's, on about it, but she's uh, something happened and she's she's gotten cuter. <laughs> she's the uh, I like it. She gets I feel like she's very opinionated like when you were talking about the treasure and stuff. Oh yeah, I you asked me to ask her uh who found the treasure and I asked her and she said Paw Patrol. So Paw Patrol. uh <laughs> while while the man's name has not been released Apparently, it was the Paw Patrol. And honestly, <laughs> there's several of them, and they can do a lot of shit. So maybe they did find it. They got one, one of them dogs. that digs shit up. Yeah. And one of them a helicopter? Uh, Well, they they have these little things they drive around. One of them, uh, yeah, Zuma. She's an mm-hmm. airplane. That's her whole thing. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. she is not an airplane. She flies a little air. It's There's a lot of liberties taken with this show. And every time I'm like, <laughs> what? How did? What? Did, how does this happen? I don't know. She loves it, though. She loves it. Well, let's get into this. Yeah. 
Around 1980, there were hundreds of modern-day versions of ancient esoteric organizations like the Knights Templar, a Catholic military order founded in 1119 that lasted until 1312. The Knights were powerful and maintained a large economic infrastructure, controlling much of the money in Europe during the group's active time. Some of the members even fought in the Crusades, reclaiming lands for Christianity. Eventually, the Knights became so influential that King Philip ended up gravely in debt to the group. To wipe out his debt and regain his own power, he pressured the Pope at the time, Clement V, to disband the order. So we actually talked about Knights Templar recently in the Oak Island Treasure. I guess that's another tie-in. That's another treasure. That's right. A lot of people feel the Knights Templar is... The group that left the buried treasure on Oak Island, and um, now they're tied into this. That's so why I said Forrest Finn's treasure has been found. Our only retirement plan is Oak Island. Yep. So you have well, to warn the Laginas because we're coming. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I feel like we had a better chance of finding Forrest Finn's treasure than <laughs> the Oak Island treasure. According to the book, The Order of the Solar Temple, The Temple of Death, by Professor James R. Lewis, the modern day versions of organizations like the Knights Templar varied from Apocalyptic associations to cover groups for espionage and political machinations, from organizations dealing with sex magic to others that are a little more than clubs where one dresses as a Templar. But one sect would soon begin its operations that brought international renown to the supposedly secret society. Sex magic is probably bad, but it sounds cool. Sounds great. <laughs> it's the best kind of magic. I don't ever. I guess you make you make yourself reappear and disappear. <laughs> I don't know what what happens. You levitate. Of, levitate would be cool, like Dana on Ghostbusters. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Luke Jarret was born October eighteenth, nineteen forty seven, in the then Belgian Congo, present day Zaire, in Africa. As an adult, Jarret studied medicine in college and obtained a degree from the Free University of Brussels. It was at university that he also joined the Walloon Communist Youth Group, putting him on the radar of the police due to his political leanings. Jarret then did a stint in the Belgian military, telling a friend of his it was the best way to infiltrate the army with communist ideas. After his service, Jarret became a homeopathic healer, obtaining qualifications to practice in France. He eventually settled down in a French town not too far from the border with Switzerland to continue his practice. And isn't homeopathy is more regarded as a practice over there versus in the U.S. It's kind of like, oh, you know, I'm hippie, kinda, you, hippie bullshit. Yeah, it's sort of brushed off here where there it's taken more seriously yes. and regulated. It's considered an actual medical practice over there. Mm-hmm. He also was an obstetrician. He was a doctor. His brother said he was extremely bright and smart growing up. He kind of did a lot of stuff before mm-hmm. settling down with the homeopathic route. In the early 1980s, Jarret began his own lecturing company called the Amenta Club. He traveled the world speaking on New Age and homeopathic topics, positioning himself as an expert in health and healing. One eclectic esoteric group that Jarret spoke with was called the Golden Way Foundation of Geneva. Headed by Joseph de Mombro, the Golden Way members believed that the universe was going to be transformed, and through their membership, the followers would have the opportunity to prepare their minds and bodies to transition from this world into the next. That sounds like classic cult language. Yeah, there's always, I feel like the great part about a cult is that there's always, it's just a promise that you never have to fulfill because you just 
kill everyone yeah. or ever or convince them to kill themselves. So it's sort of I mean, it's a great scam. It is. And it's I imagine if there's a cult 101 class, that's what they teach you day one. Put something way far in the future that hopefully you're never going to even have to get to because it's going to be like 20 years away. But if you mm-hmm. do, sorry, you're going to have to off everyone and then off yourself. That's the only way out the, of this. <laughs> the Garland cult we studied where they just go, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess we were wrong. Everybody can leave. That's the only time I've ever seen a cult do that. <laughs> where and they're like, That's the way to do it. That's what you should yeah. do. Just let everyone live. Yeah. What were they called? Not. Oh, uh, God's Salvation. God's Salvation Church. Yeah, that's right. That mm-hmm. was an interesting one, too. Dimambro Sajere is a charismatic leader who would be just the person to bring Golden Way's teachings to a wider audience, a prerequisite for any new cult. Born in France in 1924, Dimambro was a businessman who was also interested in ancient orders and mysticism. In 1956, he had joined the ancient and mystical order of the Rosy Cross, where he remained a member until 1970. Influenced by the teachings he learned during this time, Dimambro then set up shop in Switzerland, positioned himself as a yoga teacher, a cult philosopher, and creator of his own organization, the Golden Way Foundation. It's a bit of a stretch to call it a foundation, but I guess it makes it seem tax-free. <laughs> I think, I can you, can anyone just appoint themselves anything? I mean, that's the dream. That's the dream, right? I mean, <laughs> you say. what do you have? I mean, a yoga teacher. Okay, one would get training to be a yoga teacher. Mm-hmm. But an occult philosopher, I feel like that you just read a couple books and start asking people to call you that. Well, it's like right now, everybody on Facebook is a constitutional law scholar. So I think you just deem yourself the thing and start doing it. Can't tell you how happy I am that I have taken a social media break. If, speaking of. If anyone's been DMing me or commenting on stuff and I haven't been replying, it's not because I'm ignoring you or I don't like you. Before George Floyd or anything happened, I decided to take a month long, maybe longer now, social media break. And then everything hit. And um, so that's that's why I haven't been on. But uh, according to you and Tommy, it is like drinking from a fire hose. So pretty much a constant barrage. Also, I would like for everyone to know you were very well researched and read on the topic. You weren't just like, I'm turning off my Internet. You were very much. This is this article. These are the reasons why I'm doing it. Like it was not taken lightly or it was not a rash decision. It was very no. measured and thought out. Well, thank so you. So if you if you DM the show, it's me. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> Recently, I read a bunch of articles that I had already known, but I kind of wanted to refresh myself just about the, I mean, it's it's not just opinions. There's actual studies and research that show the damage that social media can do to your brain and, and mental health and everything. Mm-hmm. And I could feel it. I felt the the slog of it all and, the, and all of that. So decided to just uh, give myself a break for a while. And I'll tell you what, it's been interesting mm-hmm. i'm gonna i'm gonna talk about it on a mixed bag in a month or so just because i'm still trying to unpack everything there's parts mm-hmm. of it that feel like refreshing and you're like i don't have to worry about this but then there is that feeling of am i missing out on a cultural movement that's happening on the internet but then i have to remind myself facebook is an echo chamber and we all share the same stuff with the same people 
and mm -hmm. no one's going to change anybody's mind because of a Facebook post. I will, just, I will slightly disagree because there's been two different people that have then personally DM me and say, hey, I'm, I really want to get better. What are ways I can get better? But it was not through fighting. It was like they would argue and then I would message and say, hey, if you have any, I recommend this. If you have any questions or resources, that's fine. But I'm not a fighter on Facebook, but people get on there and get freaking heated up and yeah. start yelling. So no one's going to change that way. Well, but I'm, I mean, always like, I'm talking I'm more offering. about sh just sharing just resharing the same articles and stuff like that. If you want to have yeah. a conversation, that's different. Yeah. But there are people that listen to understand and there are people that listen to to just be right. And so mm -hmm. damn, that is prophetic. <laughs> that is so right. Like that is the perfect way to put it. You're totally there are people I think that genuinely do want to even just not even change their own mind, but like broaden their perspective. And that's, I totally respect that. And sure. I'm the same way. If somebody wants to send me something, hey, I'll admit it. I watched the pandemic thing. It was garbage. It was fully wrong and insane. But when everyone was sharing it, I, I'm like, okay, I want to see, I want to judge for myself. Um, and I've judged it to be full on garbage. But the there are then other people that are like, no. For, for sure, I believe this, or even just, oh, really? And they, they have these, like, you can tell, like, almost, like, pre-packed mm -hmm. talking points that they just want to get on there and, like, feel this, like, adrenaline rush of, like, fighting. My, my new thing is, I don't fight with anybody. I'm like, do you want a resource? I'm not a teacher. Here's Google. Or here's a thing that's on point of what you're asking, but I'm not going to sit here and type out a million words about, you know, whatever question you have. No, I think time can be spent... Uh, better in other places like mm -hmm. emailing your councilman emailing your police yes. chiefs um educating yourself donating which is all the stuff i've been doing so even though i haven't mm -hmm. been in the throes of the social media conversation i am definitely using this time to hopefully better myself and and uh be a better ally and help help others so mm -hmm. just a little segue i don't even remember what the hell we were talking about that got us to that point oh, oh you just decide you're an occult philosopher that's right that's right and you can just start calling yourself that well um i am not an occult philosopher but uh with that quote you just said earlier guess, you're a di you're a philosopher thank you philosopher. thank you do you you get you have good nuggets all the time i love them oh thank you man i'd love a good nugget right now Good chicken nugget. Dang. <laughs> we were just talking about, uh, man, I for some reason, the dinosaur-shaped chicken nuggets are better. Oh, yeah. Kid cuisine. Did you ever eat those growing up? I used to. At my grandma's house, always. I would always eat kid cuisine. Yeah. We with had, the little macaroni yeah, and the yeah, shitty yeah. little brownie. The brownie would always get burned. Mm -hmm. Or the uh, it was like those cooked apples with cinnamon. Yes. I always liked those. I loved the kid cuisines. I like TV dinners. I'm trash. I do, too. I don't care. I, am, I think they're delicious. <laughs> I love the El Patio or whatever, the enchilada ones. I'll mm. eat those. I'll eat... Oh, yeah. man. Hungry Man. I used to eat Hungry Man Salisbury steak. Disgusting. It's good, though. It's good. Mm -hmm. now, Salty. Now all of them are just Amy's because I'm a vegetarian. They're still very good, though, but they're yes. not like uh, they're not that TV dinner that you crave from the 80s mm -mm. by any means. No. Mine are all, I can't have my chicken fried steak anymore. It's mm -hmm. all gluten-free, but I miss them. Well, following the partnership between the two men, Amenta became basically a subsidiary of Golden Way. It was on these speaking tours that Jarey was able to recruit new followers. His charismatic speaking style fostered confidence from new members and convinced them to join. Dimambro then lured members further in by using Masonic rituals and Rosicrucian secrets, 
merely updating them to fit a more modern audience by including more popular forms of spiritualism and environmentalism. But the Golden Way Foundation was not an entirely new organization. It followed a line of predecessor organizations from whom DiMombro had borrowed ideas. Yeah, it's kind of like just uh, Pac-Man style. One's eating the next. You know, one organization is eating the next. It's eating the next. I think that's all cults. I mean, there's really no new ideas under the sun. They all kind of just borrow and take from one another. And there's little twists and turns that make it a little bit different. But, I mean, the layout of of a cult is pretty textbook for every single one just there's some variations along the way see i am an occult expert (laughs) (laughs) juliana rigas a former nazi collaborator and alleged neo-nazi had created one of these predecessor organizations called the renewed order of the temple this was related to an even earlier organization known as the sovereign order of the solar temple On March 21st, 1981, these two organizations converged and merged into the Golden Way Foundation. DiMombro later cited this ritual, where the three organizations converged into one, as the founding date of the Order of the Solar Temple. So, yeah, you have the old one, then the second oldest one, then this new one he created, and they make the mega order. Mega order. Father, Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. It's the Holy Trinity here. Many cults prey on the vulnerable, disguising themselves as self-improvement organizations providing a path to a better life. However, the Order of the Solar Temple actually attracted many members who were well-off, upper-middle class, and generally happy with their lives. What these recruits searched for was a more authentic church experience and a more exclusive form of spiritualism. This almost seems like a horror movie to me because Mm -hmm. they asked the sheriffs in the towns where they would take up residence, like, what are they like? And they said they played softball. They were normal, regular. You would not even know. And then behind closed doors, they were like wearing robes and doing rituals. I was like, oh, no. Even their families had no idea that they Mm -hmm. were involved in these things. It was very much a double life by the members. Membership did not come cheap, however. There were initiation fees, a mandatory tuition, and those wishing to join were required to shower the leaders with gifts, according to Ranker. As a reward for their financial commitment, new members were let in on the cult's secrets and promised salvation upon the return of the second coming of Christ, or as they called him, the Solar God King. That's a cool title. Solar God King's a cool uh, heavy metal album. That's true, too. Sex Who Magic and Solar God King. Right. Touring with uh, Pazuzu and the Meat Warlock. Yeah, Donna Laser. <laughs> they need to all be on the same ticket, for sure. I think so. I love Lusa-style show. <laughs> exactly. It's like a festival every year. <laughs> My concern always would be... I'm not here to judge people that join these cults. You get sucked in for well, a variety of reasons. Well, they're brainwashed, and it's sad. Yeah, you get brainwashed. But also, uh, this is the 80s. I mean, I Mm -hmm. guess Scientology was around. But even nowadays, you see people get sort of suckered into an ideology and end up having to spend all this money. And I'm just like, don't you? It's not like it's the first time it's ever happened where you go in and they say, well, if you really want to be close to God, we're going to need some more money. Like, that's first of all, that's extortion for the Lord. Um, but the, yeah, I just don't, I just am confused that are you a naive person or you just don't want to believe it? You don't want to question it? Well, some would say that you don't have to necessarily be in a traditional cult for money to play a factor in how you're treated in the church. That's true. I mean, there's tithing, there's donations mm-hmm. that you're expected to give. It's 
it's a different level of things, but you know, I mean, that's kind of part of being in organized or unorganized religion is you're going to pony up some money to make this a better thing that we're all trying Mm -hmm. to do. And I think though, with these cults, like you're saying, these aren't new. How could people that see maybe another one think this is different? It's those little twists that they, that they tell you of like, we're not like Scientology. Mm -hmm. We're, we're totally different, you know, and they almost like shit on those other things to prove to you that like, we're not crazy people. Like we Mm -hmm. wouldn't believe that. Yeah. And again, it's that, elitist we're all part of this special thing that we're doing together and everyone wants to feel like they're part of something that's just a human need to feel accepted and like they're part of a group and for those that are looking for that and and lacking that that's how that's the type of people these cults prey on that's true 33 high-ranking members known as the elder brothers of the rosy cross made up the inner circle and presided over the teachings and initiation ceremonies Critical to these teachings were the belief that the Earth would face a worldwide catastrophe in the mid-1990s, according to Britannica.com. From 1984 to 1990, the cult attracted more than 400 members. Seeing a need to add additional structure to their growing congregation, Jure and Dimambro created a three-tiered system. At the lowest level was the Amanta Club. These members were expected to spread the group's message and attract new followers by proselytizing around the globe. Above the Amanta Club was what was known as the Arcadia Club. Members of this tier had to be hand-selected by an elder, an esteemed honor in itself. In addition, to reward their dedication to the sect, members of this tier were granted knowledge of some of the Solar Temple's inner workings, and were told they would more easily attain a higher consciousness than members below them. Lastly, the most prestigious level one could reach was called the International Knighthood Organization. At this top level, members were shown the ways of secret initiation rituals and were granted special access to publications, according to Ranker. Well, in human beings, naturally, especially if these are more high achieving people that are already attracted to this, want to get to the next level. Absolutely, so I guess sure. if you're already bought in and they're like, well, for only 60 more thousand dollars, we can really bump up your consciousness you're like, well, that's, we have to, we have to, you know, who else, you know, Jerry and Joni ended up going to the higher consciousness. So me and you have to, you know, like it starts totally. to be almost a competition. It's a keeping up with the Joneses thing for sure. And mm-hmm. they had the different, like in Scientology and so many other cults, the different levels had to wear different color robes. Mm-hmm. So you look at someone, you easily know like what their rank and status is. And that's, I mean, you're just wearing a, almost like a scarlet letter like this person isn't willing to do their due diligence and 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 work the system like the rest of us to get to the higher level and it's uh it's how they suck you in for sure we talked about with nexium too is that's one of the classic Mm -hmm. cult things of uh, pointing people and saying you're on this level and that she's better than you or he's yep. better than you. And then making that person being like, I'll do whatever it takes. It's just classic manipulation, too. Mm-hmm. For sure. In an interview with the Toronto Sun, Montreal Crown Prosecutor Jean-Claude Boyer said he believed order members saw themselves as superior human beings whose survival was needed to relaunch the human race after a cataclysm they saw coming because of the deterioration in world affairs. However, with the expensive dues and tiered membership system, some followers began to feel that Jure and Dimambra were simply using them to bankroll their lavish lifestyles. 
When the duo began purchasing limousines and chalets, several members asked for reimbursements and eventually got fed up and left the order. I always wondered that with a mega church too, where I get if you if you go to a church and you donate, you tithe or whatever you want to, you want to make sure that the church runs or there's youth groups going on missions or whatever, and it's furthering your beliefs. But when you're like donating money and they're like, I bought a jet. It's like, <laughs> wait a minute. Yeah. I bought a jet. And like, they're like, need... well, we need the jet to fly around the world to spread our message so we get more followers. Well, you can also fly coach to do that. Yes, do you really need true. your own jet to do something like that? And you know what? You can rack up frequent flyer miles. It's just like that mega church over on the way to the highway that has a full scale replica of the White House. <laughs> Have which, you seen that? Which one is that? I don't. Uh, I think it's like Trinity something church. It's one of the TBN or whatever. It's like the it's the televangelist broadcasting. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you drive by on, I think it's on uh, what it's. Like 183 or 114, yeah, but it's as I you're going from downtown. Yeah, and it's as you're going, and they have that big ass White House. You're just driving like what? It, it looks just like in Washington D.C. Yeah. Why do? You, why would you need that? Well, uh, one is one is tied to the other in in their mind, I believe. Mm-hmm. Their leader is is the person leading the White House. I think it's been there for a while. Before Trump was even in. Oh, I think so. Oh, I don't know. Then I do know which one you're talking about. Mega it's churches a, scare me. Yeah. And especially with the, you have the, uh, like, Joel Osteen style yeah. where they flip out in the plane or then they don't let people in and things like that. So it's, and they buy jets. Mm-hmm. Former member Rosemarie Klaus told the Toronto Sun that she and her ex-husband, Bruno, sunk about a half million dollars into a scheme related to the order involving an organic farm. Klaus told the son that Jure thinks he's Jesus Christ and that he told people that a great cataclysm was going to take place and that only the chosen will survive. Jure did, in fact, claim that he was the third reincarnation of Jesus Christ and used his power to exert control over the female members, forcing them to perform sexual acts with him prior to the cult's ceremonies. It's almost like there's a cult bingo card and you're yep. like, M- money? Telling people you're the reincarnation of Jesus? Sleeping with all the female patrons. Exactly. Yeah. Seducing all the ladies. Yeah. Yeah. There's, you just see the similarities over and over again. So again, when you're getting sucked in, don't you ask yourself, I guess you believe your person so much and you go, well, this one's different. I think it's a, it's something I've been talking about with other things going on with Tommy. I think cognitive dissonance comes into play because Mm. if you're willing to say, this is a cult. I'm joining a cult. Or or you look at um, other cults and say, I would never do that. I, I would never get sucked into Scientology. That's crazy. Then when you see something that's even that's kind of similar to it, your brain doesn't allow you to see those similarities because then you would by default be admitting that you're crazy because you've already labeled one of those things something you would never be a part of. Mm-hmm. I was relating it to people and racism and I won't get into it, but, um, mm-hmm. but I think it's kind of the same thing here that you're, you just mentally shut off something to where you mm. refuse to see the similarities between something because then that would make you question who you are. And that's very uncomfortable. And people don't want to do that. People don't want to admit that they're wrong. That's true. I like the way you said of just like shutting a part of your brain off. It's easier, I think, to say, oh, I'm not like that. I'm not, this isn't Scientology. It's not. 
we don't think that the world was made by aliens. We think right. we're going to turn into aliens. It's two different things. <laughs> it's totally like, different. <laughs> but but is it? I don't know. But I think you're right because if you've defined yourself as saying I'm a person that would never join a cult, and then you find that you find yourself getting sucked in, rather than saying, "Turns out I am a person that would join a cult." It's yep. easier to go. This isn't a cult. Look away. Pay no attention to all the evidence exactly. that proves it's a cult. Exactly. According to Holbert's book, these ceremonies were conducted in darkness and heavily involved lights and sounds, as well as imagery involving swords, harkening back to the Knights Templar. DeMombro claimed that a group of supernatural beings known as the Masters of Zurich lived beneath the Swiss city of Zurich and claimed that those masters would visit the order during the elaborate ceremonies. Masters of Zurich are also going to be at the <laughs> festival. <laughs> totally. Yeah, they're headlining. Yeah. What a... <laughs> oh. And what's weird is there's not a ton of information. I mean, we have some information as to what these guys believed, but a lot of it we don't because, as we'll see, there's not many of them around anymore. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't a lot of stuff left behind. Right, right. But I wonder how one comes to decide, okay, here's where we're going. A group of supernatural beings lives beneath the town. If we do all of this stuff, they're going to rise up like... I wonder if that was from books he read or something that was influenced during the Knights Templar. Mm-hmm. Because so much of it, I mean, like with L. Ron Hubbard, he was a sci-fi writer. Like all that yeah. shit just came from, you know, I mean, like his imagination and stuff. So I wonder how people come up with this kind of shit. It's like when a little kid is lying and they're like, what happened? <laughs> uh, a boy came and he pushed her down. It wasn't me. What do you look like? He was seven feet tall yeah. and green and you're like all right you're lying it's yes. like they're magical and they live under the city like are you talking about the ninja turtles no and then that little boy grows up to be joseph uh, demombro <laughs> yeah ella likes to tell us lately that monsters have eaten everything oh instead of her well i'll be like where did that book go that was here? A monster ate it. Oh, what did the monster <laughs> look like? And then I'll just play along. And, and uh, But yeah, I mean, it is kind of like, let's just see how crazy we can get. And I guess at that point, you're so entrenched that you're not going to question. There's got to be some, though, that are like, did he say supernatural beings? What are What are we talking about here? Also, this was the early 1990s. You've seen a number of films created around mm. that time. And even this, they did not have the highest budget. They had some money. But he's doing a light and laser show. How good could this be? How no. possibly? I imagine it's very Bohemian Grove. Yeah. Very college follies and an embarrassment, <laughs> honestly, to watch. And everyone's just going like, oh, my God, I'm so uncomfortable watching this right now. <laughs> DeMombro, who, like Jure, favored himself Christ-like, also told members that his children were demigods. He claimed his son Ellie was conceived via theogamy, or marriage with the gods, and that his daughter Emmanuel was a product of Immaculate's conception, Virgin Mary style. Well, you have Jure, who's banging everybody, and DeMombro, who wants everyone to think he's a virgin with two kids. Yeah, they took, you know, it's good cop, bad cop. <laughs> you got opposite gotta, sides here. Gotta have both sides here. <laughs> During the elaborate ceremonies of the order, members often listened to bizarre noises referred to as sounds from Sirius. Sirius, also called Alpha Canis Majoris or the Dog Star, is the brightest star in the night sky and was one of the order's main fascinations. 
referred to by members as the Blue Star. The Order believed that 26,000 years ago, Sirius had deposited beings on the planet Earth, known as the Sons of the One. The end goal was that Order members would eventually leave their earthly bodies behind and travel to Sirius. Do you think they bust out these ideas early on, or they wait till they suck you in and you got a half a mill sunk into a, some organic farm that's never going to produce, and then they're like, by the way, let me tell you about Sirius. I think that, and I think these are also the things that get revealed to you if you pay more to jump up in the membership tier. Mm-hmm. Because, and, you know, there's whispers of, oh, you're going to find out what's really going on and how we're all going to save the planet and save ourselves if you just spend another $500,000 to get Mm -mm. to that level. But also, it's so common with cults like Heaven's Gate or there's um, the one in Garland we were just talking about, God's Salvation Church, that outer space and um, like planets and meteors and everything are involved. It's very interesting that that's another thing that's like, It's not any new idea. They just kind of twist it. Instead of a meteor that everyone's going to get behind and fly off, now this is the star Sirius that that deposited things, and we all got to go back to it to find our earthly bodies. And I mean, maybe it also comes from uh, common ignorance to astronomy, that maybe if we had stronger science programs in school, kids wouldn't fall into cults because they would understand the basics of astronomy. That's a good argument for... (laughs) Giving a lot more money to NASA and really trying to get our space program back up and running. We need to fund STEM programs for youths and Mm -hmm. teens and college students because otherwise they're going to join a cult because they think they're going to go live on a star. Anybody would tell you that type of star, you can't even live on it. You'll explode in gas. You fall right through it. It's not solid. You can't stand on that and you'll burn right up. Exactly. Duh. As the rightful heirs to the Knights Templar, the Order of the Solar Temple, believed they had great and mystical powers. In addition, they also believed in reincarnation and heavily guarded their secrets and practices. Even in leaked footage showing an initiation ceremony, the faces of members are blurred out. The video shows people in white robes, stitched with red crosses, walking in line, two by two, coming to an altar. The white robes with the red cross mirror the dress of the classic Knights Templar. It looks like someone took a home video and just smudged people's faces. I'm sure that's what it was. Yeah, I mean, Mm -hmm. although you would think they'd have some pretty sweet production with all these lights and lasers and shit they're going on. But, and yeah, nobody had uh, iPhone 11s to record this on back then. Mm -mm. You've got one one of of those. There was one dude to put up on your shoulder with a big ass light and Mm -hmm. a VHS tape that went right into it. My dad had one of those and he took it everywhere. And he, I remember he would film our plays at school and some kid walked up to him and went, are you with the news? (laughs) I remember you telling, (laughs) I think you said that before. And that's so funny. He should have just leaned in, worn a little uh, hat around with just a little piece of paper that said press sticking up out of the band. Exactly. (laughs) Like a fedora with a press number. Oh man, I wonder if my mom still has ours because that was a big staple back in mm-hmm. the wallace household growing up all christmases we were filmed on that thing mm-hmm. same and we have like the it's like in a case i told paris i was like we should try to see if it works like bust it out i have to find vhs tape somewhere yeah that's the thing well however these ceremonies weren't as magical as demombro would have everyone believe and things began to fall apart for the illustrious leader antonio de Troyes, a once faithful member, learned that the visits from these so-called masters were nothing more than light and hologram shows. 
Upon a fouling out with DeMombro, Dutrois left the order and took his wife and their newborn son to Quebec, Canada. To make matters worse, DeMombro's adult son, Ellie, found a closet full of props that his father used to put on the light and sound shows, breaking the illusion and causing a rift between father and son. Ellie quit the order, with more than a dozen other members following suit, leaving DeMombro with a dwindling congregation and no one to receive the torch he yearned to pass on. That's embarrassing when your son finds your <laughs> prop closet. Oopsie. It reminds me of the village. The oh, M. Night. Mm-hmm, That's how yep. they all just, I mean, if I'm spoiling that movie, Christ, it came out, what, 20 years ago or something? Yeah. Uh, but that's that's how they all, you got to lock those closets. Always. If, if you're trying to just it, keep the Santa suit in a locked closet, like keep all that shit locked away so your kids can't just stumble upon it. When we were kids, my friend was a latchkey kid and uh, she we, she and I like dug around in not only her brother's room and found the Playboys, but we dug around in her parents' room and found her stepdad's like penthouse magazine with mm-hmm. like the stories in it and stuff. And you're always like, ooh. And I just think now as I would just get like a gun safe for my dildo <laughs> so my kids can't find it. You know what yeah. I mean? Like <laughs> You never want your kids stumbling upon something like that. And they no. will snoop. Yeah, for sure. When, when I went over to my... I never really snooped at my own parents' stuff because I was probably afraid of what I might find. And That's I don't, the same. I don't want to not be able to unsee something. Mm-hmm. But 100%. for sure, we would, at, over at my friends' houses, we would snoop through stuff. We found some dildos. Yeah. And, and condoms and stuff. And of course, like, as an adult, you're like, that's just common. That's not a big deal. But yeah. as a fourth grader, you're like, oh, my parents are having sex. <laughs> Yeah. Like, Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, you're gross. Like Your the- parents are doing it. <laughs> you and I were willing to spoil our friends' image of their parents, but not our own. <laughs> no, I was like, no. I'm not gonna go look in there. No, 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 no. No. Well, DeMombro's daughter Emmanuel was designated the cosmic child and told she would start a society on Sirius. She was just twelve years old, Emmanuel refused to take this role, showing little interest in being the founder of a new society. Things seemed to be going badly for DeMombro, and with the closing of the Sirius cycle, there seemed to be only one next step for the order. DeMombro told members that the only way to ascend to Sirius was through a death voyage, accomplished through mass suicide. Well, that's where things, that's where you gotta bail. That's been, at that point, you're so indoctrinated. And you've sunk a ton of money into it, but for what at this point? If now he's telling everyone they got to kill themselves, you're like, but what about all the money I gave for exactly. all of these things? Can I get a refund? Yeah. Also, this is post Jonestown, right? Yes. So again, if your cult leader, okay, join a cult. You do you. I'm not here to judge. But when your cult leader starts talking about moving on to the next realm, yeah. and you think to yourself, I don't think I'm ready for that. You're going to the next realm. Yeah. If you stick around, you're going to find out, sadly, you're going, he's going to take you whether you go willingly or not. Yeah. So it's like I said, again, I'm not blaming people, but just be aware if you join a well, cult. If you're you already, guys. if you're already this brainwashed, I don't think people join co- cults thinking they're cults. They True. think they're joining a secret uh, society a move, um, or a movement or a, a, a new age type of religion or something like that. But also, at this point, they're pretty brainwashed. So yeah, they're thinking, we're leaving our earthly bodies and ascending to Sirius to, and this is how we, we live on, which is what, I mean, it's the same thing with if you believe in like an afterlife in heaven or whatever. So they're all kind of the same uh, 
what's the word I'm looking for? Like the, t- they, like the tenants, end? tenants, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Yeah. There's just different ways of getting there and some are more extreme than others, but I'm sure there were people that were like, peace out, bro. This and this and how I'm doing it. But I think the majority of them, as we'll see, unfortunately, did not leave. And I feel bad. I'm trying to and I'm not hopefully I don't come across as unempathetic because I just don't have that strong of beliefs about a lot of things. I think we said on the branch Davidians of like, I can't there's nothing I would even do to give up cheese for. Like, I can't imagine I would be like, I would love to drink this. What, right. What, what you're not drink? you're not the the demographic for Correct. order of the solar temple. I'm a bad t- I'm a bad target for cults. Yes. Well, on October 4th, 1994, DeMombro, who owed money to former member Terry Huguenon, told Huguenon to drive to one of the cult chalets to collect his cash. Huguenon had been a member of the order for 14 years, but had recently left the sect. Upon arrival to the chalet, Huguenot noticed that things appeared strange. The normally open chalet was locked, and all its windows were closed and shuttered. DiMombro told Huguenot that he had lost his key and called a locksmith to open the chalet door. Once the locksmith opened the chalet, Huguenot reeled back three meters because of the smell of petrol fumes. He told documentary filmmakers, I felt bad and something inside me said, go! Following his gut instinct, Huguenon took off running up the path and back to his car. Despite DiMombro and another sect member attempting to catch him and get him to stay, Huguenon jumped in his car and sped away. That night, he would hear of a tragedy that started on the other side of the world and would end in the very chalet he had just visited. Man, poor guy was trying to go get his money back. I'm glad he followed his gut. Always mm-hmm. follow your gut. We've said it before. It's... Turn over. It doesn't. It doesn't lie. If you feel like something's wrong, it is. Get it. Get out of there. GTFO. For real. Turn around and run. Leave the chalet. Yes. The next day, on October fifth, nineteen ninety-four, five people, including one child, were found dead in a house in Morin Heights, Canada, at a villa belonging to Joseph DiMombro. Their bodies had been burned, and three of the bodies—Antonio Dutois, his wife Nikki Robinson, and their three-month-old son Emmanuel appeared to have been stabbed to death before the fire. According to the book Sirius, Brightest Diamond in the Night Sky by Jay Holberg, two order members, Dominique Belaton, a mistress of DiMombro, and Joel Egger, had gone from Switzerland to Montreal with orders from Jurey to kill the traitors within a chalet owned by DiMombro. Egger had lured Antonio to the basement, telling him he needed help moving some furniture. Antonio, a handyman, was eager to help. But when he reached the bottom of the stairs, Egger bludgeoned him with a baseball bat before cutting his throat. Egger then went upstairs and stabbed Antonio's wife to death. Then, along with another order member, Jerry Genoux, Egger stabbed the couple's infant son, Emmanuel, 20 times, placed him in a plastic bag, then drove a wooden stake through his chest. Grizzly, violent people. Very, very. That is... To be able to commit such a heinous act... I imagine these people did not, you know, these these are people that maybe had no violent act, no rap sheet, no brushes with the law before this. But then they get so brainwashed and indoctrinated by this cult that they're willing to commit the most atrocious thing one could do, mm-hmm. uh, just brutally kill a child mm-hmm. without it's- because they think they're traitors and they've been told by their leaders like these, you know, to them, they're 
doing good. Yeah, protecting the cause. Yes, yes, and the world. Yeah, you're in deep at that point, mm-hmm. if you're willing to, because you, you have to know what comes next. DiMombro had ordered little Emmanuel's murder because of a rift between himself and Antonio. DiMombro's own daughter, with Dominique Bellaton, was named Emmanuel, and DiMombro had declared her the spiritual embodiment of Christ. Once the rift between DiMombro and Antonio formed, Antonio also named his newborn son Emmanuel. This caused DiMombro to become convinced that little Christopher Emmanuel Dutois must be the Antichrist and signaled the end of the world. Do you think that DiMombro really thought that or that he was pissed off that Dutois left, knew his secrets that he was a fraud and left? I'm going to go with that one. Yeah. Yeah. I, and then told to amped up Edgar and Bellaton and say, yeah, sure. This kid is a danger to us all, but I don't. Now, something I do wonder with all cult leaders is does a point come where you believe your own lies because you almost have to in order to continue selling it to your congregation? I think depends. Like, I think that David Koresh believed he's he was believing his own shit. But these folks, I would agree with that. I think this, especially, I don't know as um, Jure as much, but I think DeMombro knew that he was a fraud and he knew it was, it was about to, the jig was about to be up because his son found his prop closet. You know, it's yeah. not like he said, someone planted it there. His son found his props and he had to go, yeah, you know what? You're right. I'm a fucking fraud. Well, anyway, you got to take over, right? You're going to take over the family business. His son says no and leaves. He's crumbling. You know, he, it's the straw what do you then he goes to his daughter and she's like what am i chopped liver i'm (laughs) ellie left so now you want something to do with me i'm 12 years old i'm not getting involved with this trying to listen to the new kids on the block can you leave me alone (laughs) but yeah it's he also had joined some other shady type of cult-like things in his early days and was kicked out for like writing back checks and so he had kind of an unsavory past that that led Mm -hmm. him to this so i don't think he believed that this kid was the antichrist i think Mm -hmm. he was doing it out of just being butthurt yeah getting rid of dutois for knowing the secret and then but being butthurt Mm -hmm. revenge being butthurt is the uh softer way to say vengeance (laughs) vengeance yes upon murdering the family edgar and bellaton left the horrific scene and headed back to geneva Jerry Genou and his wife then took powerful sedatives that would soon end their own lives and set fire to the entire scene. So that's another thing, too, that gets in my head. Jerry and his wife, while they're doing all of this killing, Mm -hmm. fully well know in their pocket they've got some sedatives they're going to take after this that's going to kill them. They're ready to go to the serious. And then they're lighting themselves on fire along with everything else. Yeah, I think they just lit the house on fire and took the pills and laid down. And But to be okay with that is a mindset that is sad, fascinating, baffling mm-hmm. to me. Yeah, and it's the, the psychology of cults of what yeah. happened in their lives that made them kind of susceptible or what was said to them that lured them in. But that's it, both the performing the murder like Edgar and Bellaton did and then Doing something like this where you are covering up a crime scene and then taking your own life, the both of that is serious entrenched yeah. loyalty that is derived from uh, I mean, they've they were members for years. Yeah. And sadly, 
to them, they think this is going to be all worth it and they're going somewhere where they'll be celebrated. The reality is, no, they're just dead. And they created these horrific crimes because these other people didn't want the blood on their hands. How do we know that they didn't go to the star? Okay, I guess that's true. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we don't. <laughs> Logic cha- would tell you've us. Cha- you've changed your tone now of someone <laughs> of, how could these people believe this shit? To, I think it's, well, maybe they did go to the star. I'm not saying that I believe it or that it was a good idea. I would never advocate any of the behavior that's gone on throughout the things that we've discussed. <laughs> However, we can't for sure say that they're not dancing on serious. Perhaps. I right think now. I think science would lead us to believe otherwise. But. I believe I think you're right, but <laughs> there's room for doubt, reasonable doubt. Just 10 hours after the bodies were discovered in Canada, across the world in Switzerland, 25 more bodies were found in a chalet in the small resort town of Salvin. Huguenot, the former member who had managed to escape, told documentary filmmakers that DiMombro had always told members, "When he would die, his body would be consumed by flames. It was amazing what happened, in fact." His body didn't burn in the fire at all. That's why it was recognized. It's extraordinary when you think he would always say fire was his element and fire would reclaim him. Ultimate burn from Huguenot. No pun intended. Yeah. yeah, he's like, this guy said this would happen and it didn't even happen that way. I think he was pretty uh, disenchanted. Well, I imagine he had uh, didn't get his cash and they tried to kill him. So That's true. I wouldn't, wouldn't have a lot of good money. things to say about him either. That's true. One person in the villa had been shot, with evidence showing that several others had been poisoned and suffocated. Among the remains, police found devices that had been programmed to start the fire. They found similar devices in Canada, and later in Cherry. Five days after the bodies were discovered, the French government received a package containing the passports of Joseph Dumombro and his wife, who had both been identified as having died in the fires. DNA testing later confirmed that Luke Charest had also died alongside his sect members. Now, there were some questions at first, especially they found DeMombro pretty quickly. They identified him, but they couldn't identify Charest, which led a lot of people to believe that he had faked his death and that he mm-hmm. was on the lam and hiding. But then eventually they did confirm that his body had been burned. Mm-hmm. That also would be the, the perfect getaway for them. Yeah. The plastic bags I read... Because I was like, oh, that just must be they suffocated them because they didn't want to mm-hmm. go or whatever. But also, in when they were living and stuff, part of their beliefs was a strong tie to nature. And they would also often put plastic bags around their heads as a symbol of separating themselves from nature. And apparently, just the day before all this happened, uh, Jure was seen at the store buying buying a bunch of bags and just had had a nice conversation with he was very well liked in the community and the towns and everything he was very attractive and well spoken and like most cult leaders are that's charismatic they asked very charismatic and everything so but again you wonder was that that plastic bag thing was just a way to uh kind of groom them for something later on like, that True. doesn't make any sense, putting a plastic bag over your head to separate yourself from nature. In fact, that's quite the opposite of that. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. That, it doesn't what? make any sense. No. Also, it says it's printed on the plastic bag. Don't put Don't this put on your head. Don't put this over your head. Yeah. You shouldn't. No. Soon after the bodies were discovered in Salvin, 23 more bodies, including one child, were discovered in a nearby village in Cherry. 
though fires were set, they didn't totally destroy the building, allowing police to reconstruct the crime scene. Through this, police determined that 22 of the sect members had been shot. A few of the victims were also found with plastic bags covering their heads. In addition, all members were wearing ceremonial robes, and their bodies had been arranged in a star formation before being burnt. Creepy. Well, Sad and creepy. Very. And also, if you have 53 total people passing away, and 22 of them have been shot, that doesn't mm-hmm. sound like they were stoked to no. go. No, it sure doesn't. The ha- More than almost half of them are saying, no, nah, this isn't what we want to do. And you wonder, how did they get them there? Mm-hmm. How did they lure them there? What were the promises or lies that were told? And, you know, some of them know what's going on. Also, somebody, probably a couple are alive until the very end because they got to put everybody in this formation mm-hmm. and you're just dragging bo- your your fellow uh your friend your your fellow pa- uh, patron around dead and then you either take a pill i guess or yeah shoot yourself or something but man that kind of stuff just that gets to me those just eerie the moments yeah those eerie moments like that The countless tragedies left many wondering what could have possibly caused these seemingly normal members of society to end their lives in such a gruesome manner. One theory is outlined in letters sent from members of the order prior to their deaths to cult expert J.F. Mayer pointed to the Grand Lodge of Sirius Cycle that had begun in 1981. DiMombro had predicted that the cycle would end 13 years later, in 1994. The murders and suicides that occurred among members was a way for them to dispose of their human bodies in order to obtain new invisible solar bodies so they could move on to a superior stage of life. Man. And that's what they believe. That's what they believed. So it's it's a necessary thing, I guess, that we all have to move on and you're you're coming whether you like it or not. Well, I mean, that's true for anybody. Mm-hmm. We're, we're all going to move on whether we like it or not. It's true. It's coming for us. The superior stage of life would take place in another dimension that no one but the initiated order members could access. That dimension would position them to rule over the earth and wait for the end of times. The language of the letters implied that some less advanced members were unable to comprehend this end to their human lives. Those members had to be assisted with the transition, meaning that advanced members had to help them die in the, quote, least violent way possible, according to the book, The Order of the Solar Temple, The Temple of Death, by Professor Lewis. The letters also informed J.F. Mayer in the media that some members located in Canada had been backsliders and traitors who deserved just retribution. Yeah, so clearly, I mean, they're shot because they don't want to do this and or suffocated, perhaps. Mm -hmm. And and. That's that. I don't, yeah, I don't love the rebranding of murder as helping someone die. No, no. And it's interesting that these letters were sent. They all, they all knew what was going to happen. And you're writing these letters so you can explain to the media and the press and everything, like why you made these decisions Mm -hmm. and whatnot and sending them out. And then they're received after, after all this goes on. Serial, we've seen that with serial killers and other cults too. Mm Mm-hmm. Terry Huguenot, the man who had narrowly escaped meeting the fate of the other members, later revealed to a French newspaper 
that DeMombro and Charest intended on a number of exactly 54 members dying. This was meant to connect the spirits of the Order members with the magical spirits of 54 Knights Templar, who'd been burned at the stake, according to Professor Lewis's book. Well, they overshot that number by quite a bit. But in the first, in, in these three, right, what, didn't they hit right at 53? And then he, because he would have been 54. Yes, and then they went on, and then we'll we'll see that we'll it, that, it didn't end. It didn't, <laughs> didn't end, end there. there. Didn't end there. But yeah, I think Terry Huguenot was. A, he's a little bit uh, proud of himself that he's like. Not only did you not burn, you wanted fifty four, and guess what? I escaped. Yeah, he would have been the fifty fourth. Mm-hmm. The next year, in December of nineteen ninety five, on Christmas Eve, tragedy struck once again when sixteen bodies were found on top of a hilltop near the French town of Saint Pierre de Chirin which boasted a population of just 300 people. Bodies were arranged in a star pattern and found near a campfire. They had been burned and some had been shot. In a town of 300 people, when 16 bodies are found, that is... It's a big number. Well, they saw some cars with the Swiss license plates, I guess, on the side of the road and thought, well, we better go up and see what's going on. They're having a party in the wood. Oh, my God, no. Yeah, what a grisly, horrific scene to walk up on. Mm-hmm. When authorities investigated the members' homes and questioned family members, they found that some had left so quickly that dishes remained on tables. No members had canceled appointments or told family that they would be going out of town. In fact, many of the victims' families had no idea their loved ones were involved in the order and were shocked to learn what had happened. And I guess they just have a phone tree or something. You know, it's not like nowadays where they'd have a Facebook group or something to order right. or te- a text thread. It was, they must have just gotten a call and said, all right, it's time to go. Do you think that they knew what was going to happen? If some of them had been shot, I think not, because I think then those people would have canceled appointments. No, they're like, it's an emergency meeting in the woods. Yeah, yeah. The last incident of transit occurred on May 23rd, 1997. Five members were found to have died by suicide in St. Casimir, Quebec, including Bruno Klaus. His wife, Rosemarie Klaus, had defected from the group earlier and become an outspoken opponent of the order. They were the ones that sunk half a billion dollars into an organic farm scheme. That's right. That's right. It's weird that there, you know, by this time, there's only, you know, five left, presumably, you know, the 16 in the U- in Europe. And then you have these ones in Canada that there's was there really like a, you know, leadership going on at the time or who kind of decided these dates. And that must be the absolute die hard clinger yeah. on because there's not that charismatic mm-hmm. you know jure to they're say. dead in fact you know your leaders are dead mm-hmm. so then you would one would think well if you're ever going to break from it and and the brainwashing can be broken it's now because they don't have someone pre but that just goes to show like how entrenched in this they were that they still were willing to carry this out Mm-hmm. Even without their leaders being there telling them to do so, that's how loyal they were. That's true. On September 24th, 1994, a week before the first round of mass deaths occurred, a well-known conductor who worked with the Canadian Opera Company, Michael DeBocknick, had been called by DeMombro to speak at a meeting for a new subsect of the order called Avenon that would act as a witness to the mass suicide. Later, after the deaths, as the only surviving public figure of the ascendancy, Many assumed Tabachnik was to succeed DeMombro and Jurey as the leader of the new Order of the Solar Temple. However, Tabachnik claimed that was not the case. 
So they formed a group that was going to witness the entire mass suicide. Mm -hmm. And then you just go on with your life after you see all that happen and continue this cult. So September to October, November. So three full months before. Exactly three months before because it was on. Right. Mm -hmm. Or wait. Or October. Maybe it was one month before. There were so many. Oh, yeah. It was. Oh, it was like a week before. Sorry, the December 24th was throwing me off from the later one. So the initial round of death was October 4th. They threw this pre-planning meeting September 24th, Mm -hmm. so like a week before. Man. So, I mean, you know, he knew. Yeah. Yeah, they all knew. I mean, I think a lot of them knew. The other strange thing, this is he's almost the, um, what's the woman? Allison Mack from Nexium. Because he was a very well-known composer. He went on after this to work over the UK and Canada and stuff like that. So he, and San Francisco and stuff. So he was, he was not like super famous, but in his field, he in was that, well known. In that industry, he was, yeah. In 2001, Tabachnik was charged with involvement with a criminal organization for his connection to the Solar Temple, but he was acquitted by a magistrate that year. However, French prosecutors appealed, and charges were brought a second time in 2006. Authorities alleged that Tabachnik was involved in discussions on the end of the cult and helped Dimambro and Jarret plan the suicides and murders. In fact, Tabachnik's wife was one of the members who died at the chalet in Sherry, but Tabachnik insisted to authorities that he done nothing wrong and was himself a victim of manipulation by Dimambro and Sheree. That still means he knew a week early that his wife was going to die. That's crazy. I mean, he, and that he wasn't. He was going to. That's also bizarre. Why would his, he, she die, but he wouldn't? Well, and he talked about, I mean, you never know with the DeMombro and Jure, who they're going to pick and why. And, you know, if they did pick him because he was well known and maybe had like more credence with speaking to the public. But oh, like Tom Cruise and Scientology. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing some parallels here. All you need is one celebrity in your. That's cult. true. That's true. Allison Mack. Yeah. After a second trial, Tabachnik was acquitted a second time. He expressed relief to the Associated Press calling the whole thing a nightmare and that it has taken 11 years of slander, humiliations and disgrace for the French courts to finally give me justice. And he still doesn't have his wife. Correct. Yes. And he, that, that's like the strange thing is because, you know, he argued that he wasn't as involved as they say he was. They say there's proof that he was at that meeting, that Avignon meeting, and that he was meant to be this witness. But he claims that he was just devastated that he lost his wife, which, I mean, who knows? Maybe both, both can be true that you sure. are in the cult and you think, oh, it'll be great. She's going to ascend to another realm. And then when you're faced with her charred corpse, you're like devastated and thinking, oh, God, what did we get ourselves into? Yeah. In the end, 74 people lost their lives to the Order of the Solar Temple, including numerous children, several senior civil servants, and two millionaires. With almost all of the members perishing during the transition, there seems to be no viable remainder of the cult. The members have made their ascent to the star Sirius and left this earthly realm behind, some by choice, others by force. Left behind now are the heartbroken families of those who lost their lives, who wonder what signs they may have missed, that their loved ones were on the path to a nightmarish end, and if they could have done anything to stop it. One of the families was a, the dad was a 
sunglasses designer, like a fashion designer, and his wife and son were into it. And he, but the he dad wasn't. was an Olympic medalist. The that's son right. was the sunglasses designer. Oh, that's what it was. And I was like, he didn't have the because the dad wasn't really part of it, right? It was just the son and the wife. Yeah, and he didn't really know what they were into. Yeah, and you just which think, is crazy oh. that you could. I, I don't know. I mean. That something like that could be hidden when it seems like such a huge part of your life and everything. I don't know how one hides something like that. True. Or they just tell him, hey, we're going to church. And he thinks, yeah, I don't really want to go. No, thanks. I'm good. And then the church that they're going to is actually something much more sinister. Mm, Yeah. So what do we think? Classic cult tactics. Yep, I agree. Classic cult results. This makes me want to read a book. On, I believe there's even a book called The Psychology of Colts. There's mm-hmm. a ton of books on it, but I want to read a book that from like a cult expert that goes into just how uh, leaders do become so successful. True. And this is the the kind of difference about this one. I think why it's kind of stands out in the, the history books is because it isn't like Nexium, who would kind of target vulnerable younger females or, you know, other like the family where they kind of were trying to targeting people that, you know, maybe didn't have shelter, or maybe needed a, some sort of a support network. These were wealthy, employed, seemingly nuclear families, well off kind of thing that you would not, like I said, you would not expect they were doing these kind of bizarre mm-hmm. rituals behind closed doors, but then also just sucking them in from this. It's a different, I guess it's a different pull than the other types of cults. It has some of the same ingredients, but a different pull. I think it goes back to what you were saying earlier too, of or what we were both saying, like you don't want to imagine that you could be susceptible to something like this. And when the person that, is involved looks like you then you're like shit maybe i could get sucked into this and you know i mean so it's it's scary when you when the parallels are too close hit a little too close to home and i think this is also even more of a bizarre one and made headlines because it didn't happen that long ago correct and this was a ton of deaths Mm mm-hmm you know, and so grizzly with the fire, you know, at least the yeah. gate, they were just kind of laying there. But this one's catching on fire and shooting some of the members. Yeah. And especially the Emmanuel Dutois murder was very, very vicious. And the mm-hmm. people in that town, obviously, and just in Canada in general, just remember that. So I think you're right that it's kind of the massive, the bloodbath that happened at the end, repeatedly at the end. But it, I think that's a really good point that somebody that looks like you, that if it's you get this luxury who's a doctor who he doesn't he's not a long haired bearded hippie asking you to go out in the woods. He's a wealthy doctor who's asking you to come in his limousine to his chalet and hear the secrets of how, you know, you may think, oh, well, if I invest half a million dollars in his farm, we're going to be rich like him and we're mm-hmm. going to have chalets, too. When it is just a pyramid scheme at the end of the day that your money is just going to fuel his bullshit. It's not going to actually be an investment somewhere. So that thing. But I think you're right that that's like the the temptation is someone is feeding you something that if it was a different source you would look at with more scrutiny that if someone Mm -hmm. comes to you and says it's just like any conspiracy theory that's out there right now if you see alex jones or someone screaming about it on the internet you're like that guy's a lunatic but if it's somebody that like you said looks like you that's going hey 
I just want, I'm, I'm letting you in on an exclusive secret that it may be more, it may be more effective. Uh, the messenger, I think, is important. Definitely. Also, arguably, more dangerous. Correct. More insidious to, mm -hmm. to go at it like, I'm not trying to make you do anything. I'm not trying to convince you to join a cult. I just want you to know the truth. Yeah. And you have to ask yourself, what the fuck is in it for you? And it's because people, they want to convince somebody. They want more members of the cult to make money, to give the cult more credence. You know, if they can hook. It was like Allison Mack with Nexium or Tom Cruise with Scientology. They're like, oh, if I could hook this person, it'll legitimize us. So the more wealthy people, the more, you know, employed in the government people that they could hook, the more legitimate they seemed, which sure. gets them more members, which gets them more money, which gets them more limousines and chalets and hologram light shows. And that's, I mean, the crux of any cult, why it started is money and power. Mm -hmm. And those remain the reasons throughout of why someone's doing it. It just gets blown up into this huge thing. But that's what, why anyone starts it and why anybody does it. Yeah. Joseph Mommer's like, I need more money. I need more money. Yeah. My puppets look ridiculous. People are going <laughs> to figure this out. They want money. They want limos. They want chalets. They want women. Mm -hmm. They want to they... be able to have sex with whoever they want. It's mm -hmm. it's all just sex, money, money and power. power and greed. Yep. Well, let us know what you guys think. And um, hopefully... If you remember. If yeah. You were, we have a lot of Canadian listeners. We do. If you were... If you're from any of these areas, I think that's another thing that's that sticks with me about this one is usually like with Jonestown or Branch Davidians or something, there's a ton of deaths, but it's it it happens in one one thing. Mm -hmm. But this they just kept happening mm -hmm. over a span of years, like multiple sets of bodies would be found, you know, in these at these chalets and on top of hills and everything. So it just kept coming. That's when I think that's what sticks out the most about this one to me. And just all over the place, you know, all yeah. different. Yeah. We love providing Sinisterhood to you at no cost. So if you like what you hear, consider supporting the show by donating to our Patreon. We are a small operation creating the show for you by researching, writing, recording, and producing it ourselves. Any amount is sincerely appreciated and helps offset the cost of making and hosting the show. As a thank you, you'll also get some sweet perks like a Sinisterhood sticker, membership to our exclusive Patreon Facebook group for those in the Ruling the Airwaves tier, a special shout out on the show, a monthly bonus mini-sode, and Patreon-exclusive video and audio content, like our weekly mix bags where we share three of our favorite things of the week. For more details on specific membership tiers, visit Sinisterhood.com and click on Patreon in the top right corner to join today. We're about to do a mix bag right after this and record a mini-sode. That is very interesting. It's all about the My Way killings of the Philippines. If you're not familiar, it's pretty, it's a rabbit holer. Yes. And make sure you stick around after our sign-offs to hear your shout-out. So many of you have been tagging us in pictures of you sporting your sweet Sinisterhood merch. Keep those pictures coming. If you want some cool Sinisterhood swag like t-shirts, mugs, totes, and even clothes for your kiddos, visit Sinisterhood.com and click on Shop in the top right corner. The best thing you can do to help us grow is like, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please tell a friend who you think would like us to check us out. It means so much to us and really helps small podcasts like us get more exposure. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod and like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. Christy, where are you at on the computer? Don't People don't DM her right now. <laughs> 
you are welcome to follow me because I will get back on eventually and uh, I'll respond to everything then my Instagram is Christy M. Wallace and my Twitter is Christy or GTFO Heather my Instagram is Heather versus the world and my Twitter is MCK versus the world as always the devil rules the airwaves keep it creepy Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for supporting the show on Patreon. Here are your special Patreon shoutouts. Ryan C. Chelsea Lopinto. Robin L. Beebe. Rita Hernandez. Alexandra Algier. Lindsay Homer. Shelly Riley. Megan Bush. Liz Laffer. Summer Nage. Catherine M. Diamond. Colleen. Evie Stewart. Sarah Elizabeth Rice. Alicia Cavazos. Christine. Aaron Germanson. Caitlin Linehan. Christy Carbus. Hannah Simotis. Sarah Nett. Heather Taylor. Amber Lee Wright. Elena Branch. Maggie Moo. Helen Graham. Nikhil Busilati. Melissa Alio. Lexi Ball. James Foley. Jillian Manti. Jamie Turner. Vivian Nguyen. Amanda Garza. Kelly. Zoe Stagg. Jordy, Don Tonks, Laura Moon, Ellie Freyer, Allison Rowley. Thank you guys so much for supporting this show. We couldn't do this without you. We sincerely appreciate it. Stay safe, stay healthy, and keep it creepy. Ha ha ha.